Welcome to the State of Sport with me, Ben Karpinski, where I have numerous smart conversations with smart people from the world of sport. Anything ranging from the digital side of things to the on-field, sport is very exciting right now. And I think post-pandemic, we have some incredible opportunities to not only enjoy sport more, but also know a whole lot more about it. In this episode of the podcast, we are talking the state of the digital sports fan. So much has happened since smartphones are coming to our lives, and there's no better person to talk about this than Sean Villas. Sean, how's it going? Morning, Ben. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Uh, great to great to be here and chatting about uh, how this uh, new fan is changing. Yeah, when I started this podcast, or wanted to start this podcast, you're the first person that came to mind because you are the managing director of Nielsen Sports Africa which, of course, is the global leader in sports sponsorship, marketing, research, and analytics. Quite a mouthful, that. And obviously, you're at the forefront of so many different things here, and you see what happens with sport. You know, there's nothing better than data, analytics, and insights, because I'm a massive numbers nerd, despite the fact that I'm not very mathematically inclined. It's that there are so many moving parts of sport, and you really are at the forefront of that. How did you get into this role, first and foremost, and what is your background within sport? Look, I've worked in the uh, sports sponsorship space uh, and the sports business side of, of uh, uh, my whole life, um, and then uh, managed to to land a role at at Nielsen from a global point of view for the South Africa Africa business. Um, and a lot of changed, for I'm sure it has for uh, many businesses in South Africa and, and globally. Uh, the pandemic has has changed a lot for for many businesses, and and we were no different. Um, quite rightly, you, you you say there from a Nielsen point of view, we you know leaders from a global and local point of view when it comes to kind of data and analytics, and um, you know we find ourselves in the fortunate position that we get to work with everyone that's uh, that that works in the business side of sports, from rights holders and brands and agencies and broadcasters. So there's no one really that we that we don't work with, which is a really great thing for us in the sense that we uh, really get a bird's eye view of what's happening across board um, and really get to to uh, add some insights and, and data and research where it's needed for people to make key um, kind of sports business decisions. Well, that's just the thing there, making key decisions, because when it comes to business for sport, it can't just be emotion. It can't just be, I like that, or that feels good. And that's a really cool thing about where you're positioned. So, I mean, I know from my personal business standpoint, sport made a lot of sense to me and sports seemed quite straightforward to a certain degree. COVID happened, the pandemic happened. We went into the hashtag unprecedented times. You, of course, were at Nielsen prior to that. And now you are managing director of that um, a company. What did the pandemic, if you can try to see this down, how did that really affect your business? Because not only... Sorry, just to kind of preface that before the pandemic, you knew what you were kind of researching. You knew the kind of things you were looking to give to clients. Suddenly sports stopped. So I think before we get into the state of the digital sports fan, which obviously is the future, the current and a little bit of the past, how did the pandemic kind of shape how you operate within sports and what are the kind of your focuses and how they changed? Well, our clients went through a massive, uh, sort of uncertain stage in their, in, in their marketing and, 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 and portfolios with regards to if it was a rights holder, not knowing if it's, if there's going to be an event taking place, um, from a brand point of view. They've invested all this money from a sponsorship point of view. And, you know, what are they, what are they really investing into if this thing is not going to take place? So, mm. so straight off the bat, when, when COVID took place, there was really this sort of panic and uncertainty around, uh, you know, how, uh, what are we going 
actually going to be doing? What are we actually sponsoring? Who, you know, who, who's going to actually put on an event? And we had quite a lot of work that we did on a global scale from both sides. Um, on the one side, from the rights holder point of view, really trying to understand what does that mean? Um, you know, do they pay back sponsorship fees? Uh, what are the value of the rights that they're giving back? Or if they can't give hospitality, for example, which completely disappeared, you know, how can they increase it from broadcast point of view? Or, you know, if the, if it does come back, can they do something on social media? A lot of the kind of rights holders pivoted and really used this kind of digital space um, to, to deliver to the brands. And then from a brand's point of view, a lot of the work that we did locally uh, was really to analyze the sponsorship portfolios. As, as the pandemic went on, uh, the marketing budgets were obviously under massive pressure. And a lot of the... Um, a lot of the brands came to us and, and really needed help with regards to we've got this kind of overinflated sponsorship portfolio. Some of our sponsorships have just been kind of their historically CEO's choice, yeah. uh, you know, those sort of uh, deals. And we really want to try and understand what is working for us, uh, what is not working for us, and how do we cut those sort of things. So we were pretty busy during that 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 time period. It's, uh, the whole industry was under massive pressure. Um, but from a kind of seeing ourselves as still this independent leader in that space um we we kind of uh, the brands and rights holders really came to us for advice um when they needed it most which in a weird way um sometimes when things are going well uh you you know you can just shoot from the hip and 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 you can make sure. those sort of sponsorship decisions and commercial decisions but when you're under pressure and you've got to now deliver to a board or deliver back to a brand um then you've got to lean back on some solid uh, research and data well, even prior to COVID, I mean, we had a bit of a recession, so budgets were getting scrutinized. So it was very much like you can't shoot from the hip anymore. But like the whole thing that I find interesting about the pandemic is that sports fans were changing so much. Like we went through that horrible period on social media. Where people just were naming like their dream box 15 for like three weeks because it was nothing to talk about. People just kept interacting around nothingness. But then it kind of, I think, almost hastened the digital kind of um, climate even more in that suddenly sports fans weren't sports fans anymore. They were now watching Netflix a whole bunch more. They were now maybe um, digital gaming, uh, maybe getting into esports a bit more. Suddenly all the competitors in my mind started coming to the fore, whereas in the past you know how your week was. You would get through certain um, information Watch your team on Saturday, be pretty happy, a couple of beers, rinse, repeat, carry on. But then when sports was taken away, suddenly you're doing different things with your time. Now, my biggest question to you is, as rights holders, uh, we can go through in various sections, obviously this isn't one answer, as rights holders, as brands, as teams, you know, they've had to kind of work a little bit harder now to get the eyeballs. Is this something that you're seeing that people are now realizing? Because... I'm pretty sure we've seen this in America, international markets. Locally, do you feel like there's a lot more urgency for these platforms to do more to actually engage with their fans? So I must say from a, from the research that we've done on a, on a global scale, Nielsen releases uh, these sort of trends reports every year where, where we really look at what's happening on a global scale. And, and, and I think in pre-COVID, uh, South Africa, Africa were probably lagging 12 to 18 months um, behind those uh, kind of trends um, with regards to to picking up on, on on certain things and implementing it, be it in stadium or be it digital. Um, the pandemic has probably accelerated that in the sense that it's now almost 
24 months nice. um, where we're really lagging behind. Um, and, and I'm not sure if our rights holders and our events and our, 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 our teams and federations and unions really use this opportunity um, to, to re-look at themselves. Um, have, have, have they, well, have two, they looked years, internally? I mean, if you just think of that, like, you know, in your, in your career, I know in mine, two years is a very, very long time. And to know that you're behind in that, that's a lot of work. Like that's quite a daunting thing to realize. You've got that much work to do. No, exactly. So you know, from a from a, we were always lagging, but now the fact that that we're lagging that much further behind, if we look at what's happening from a global sponsorship point of view with the betting industry and the NFTs and the cryptos and the esports space, you know, we just don't see that in South Africa. We just don't see that in Africa as much as we want to have big gaming events and big uh, uh, NFT sponsorships and and crypto investments taking place and kind of fan tokens being developed um, these things are happening in the, on a global scale it's not as if it's not happening um, but in South Africa we just don't we're just not gonna when are we going to see it you know we've, we've just only recently uh, had our first full stadium and and people attending an event with uh, no masks and, and no mandates so there's other things that we've been worrying about kind of in the last two years and not really uh, doing some introspection as a as a rights holder and and looking at is the product that we're offering to our fans, is it the best product that we could possibly be offering? When are we positioning it? Uh, how are we going to package this thing? Uh, you know, what is the younger fan going to consume? How, where are they going to consume it? Cause all those things have changed, um, from a, from a pandemic point of view. And, and I'm not certain that our rights holders have really hit the nail on the head there. So the way I see it is that when I was growing up, I was a regional sports fan. I grew up, I watched Western province. I went to Newlands. I read the Cape Times and there was kind of things that made me regional. Now you look at it because you just mentioned there, how are they getting younger audiences? If you're growing up right now, you can be a Chicago Bulls fan. You can be a Delhi Daredevils cricket fan. You can be a fan of anything really because you're so engaged. All of these really international markets, they've got this always on um, kind of policy. So you're always engaging with fans. There isn't this always like I have to now watch at a certain time. There are so many different things, so many different packages and so many different ways to stream this nowadays. So do you think that as, I mean, it's interesting you put that whole thing about two years. Not only are we behind certain trends, is that our audience isn't kind of just geographically loyal anymore. Is this something that, um, again, like you have the interest and you have the engagement with local authorities. How do we, I mean, is there a plan of action to say, if we want to get the next generation of sports fans, we need to do something quite simple, something quite special to get the loyalty in. Is this like a big focus that you see more and more now? And this whole thing about being a, a digital fan, maybe using far too many words here, but the whole thing about digital fans aren't just loyal because they can be fans of any team. I mean, is this something you see more happening locally? So, I mean, I think it's got a, uh, the, the whole digital side and the digital connection is, is, is really kind of, uh, accelerated during the pandemic and, and we've got to go back and look at essentially us as human beings are these connection uh, connection human beings we want to connect with each other be it at a stadium be it at a bra be it at an event um, the research that we've done into really segmenting sports fans the South African sports fans are predominantly connection fans you know we, we we segment sports fans into seven different segments and really to try and understand uh, you know what is their relationship that they've got and not necessarily demographic what do they look like but really what is the relationship with them what they've got and we've done that across rugby and we've we've done that across cricket and and really dominates in the South African landscape as connection fans we are connection people if you think of our top lifestyle activities from a from a research point of view that we've done over the last 10 15 years the top lifestyle activity is brown 
braying. And braying is not cooking food. Braying is just a connection activity where we stand around a fire and, 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 and connect with each other. And that's where the, the digital space really comes in is we've lost, uh, across the pandemic, we lost this kind of connection where we couldn't connect with each other. And we went into other areas where we wanted to connect with each other. And so from the digital side, it really accelerated that where now all of a sudden we were on fantasy sports, uh, leagues and uh, talking to each other, a lot more WhatsApp groups, a lot more Telegram groups were being created during the pandemic and we were connecting with each other in that digital way a lot of the a lot of the digital technology the uh, uber eats and the d- delivery companies and the pick and pays and the checker 6060s and those sort of companies have really accelerated uh, and and people have started using them um, but we've managed to connect in this digital space so so we still want to connect with each other at the end of the day us as human beings you know uh, they open the stadiums and people flock 51,000 people flock into a stadium uh, to go and watch a, a rugby match and you know uh, from a from a connection fan point of view that is really the crux of it and why this digital space has taken off so much is because of that connection we wanted to connect with each other and the companies that have managed to grab onto that the betting businesses have, have created these digital uh, networks and digital platforms and people are connecting on there we're talking to each other about you know who you be- placing your bet on where you betting what are you doing and then uh, the, the the global rights holders you so correctly put it you know they they've really seen that opportunity we've got the la liga offices that are in joburg they've got an office in joburg they've got six or seven offices around the world nba now recently launching a league in africa and 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 have an office in, in joburg and in senegal so the global rights holders are no, are realizing that you know their fans in that little area the little western cape reading the the burger or reading the Bild and, and and going to newlands uh, gone are those days where now you know you can become a, a nba fan you can become a man united fan or chelsea fan or arsenal fan and you've never even even gone to the uk um, because you can build that connection with that rights holder through those digital platforms and and they've they've make it easy for for you to to be able to build those relationships with them, um, you know the NFT platforms. A lot of the football uh, teams now are developing their own fan tokens, which is just another way of of me being able to connect with the community, um, forming part of that community, becoming a so called shareholder in that uh, in that community of of fans. Um, so so the crux of it is really that connection, and then that this digital uh, era has really been driven through this pandemic and 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 really just accelerated. Um, because of the fact that we weren't able to to sit across the room from each other and we had to connect in other ways. So all the kind of things you mentioned there always speak to resources. So I think my initial question was kind of all over the place, but what I'm trying to get at is how do local South African sporting teams, franchises, whatever, because, I mean, there's two parts to this question. The URC teams are now becoming more global, as in they're becoming more European. Okay, so that's a really, really good thing. But now, how are like local rugby teams, local rugby, uh, cricket teams, football teams, how are they able to do that? Because all the things you mentioned there are quite resource heavy to be able to get to the point where you've got amazing apps. So if your team is based in England, you've got a fan base in Taiwan. Why? Because of all the connection points you just mentioned, all these great digital resources that they use. So we know that they're growing and they're going to flourish like NFL teams, NBA teams. They've got global audiences because they've been doing this for a very long time. And now with the advent of NFTs and these fan tokens, really cool. You can see how all this is going. But then I look at like, you know, how does a local South African team really compete with this? Is it very much a case of they have to just try and get their loyal audiences down with a decent formula and try to build out from that? 
or is it purely down to a resource thing where it's like a fifth division football team trying to get big talent to rise up? You know, it, do you do you feel that void's only going to get bigger because of the whole digital expansion? Well, the digital thing makes it global. You mentioned earlier around uh, the, the the sports fans and the younger sports fans, this kind of 16 to 30-year-old sports fan at the moment is, uh, you know, consuming content through their Playstations and Xboxes and, 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 and sort of, you know, really just engaging with different teams and different uh, leagues around the world and becoming fans of those leagues. And, and it is a massive risk for the local, local teams, local PSL teams, local rugby teams, local cricket teams. You know, it's a, it's a massive risk in the sense that we are no longer just uh, bound to be fans of our regional team or, or, or that uh, kind of attend that event or go to that uh, rugby match or football match, we now can watch and consume anything right around the world, um, be it this kind of direct-to-consumer uh, platforms or be it through the broadcasters or be it through social media. So it is a massive risk. Um, the, you know, the, the answer for me would, would have been that we needed to have used COVID uh, to really look at ourselves, look at our, our, our leagues and teams. And um, fundamentally, are we making it easy for our teams to become fans? Um, in the football space, there's constantly uh, clubs being bought and sold and names being changed so you know Bloemfontein Celtic fan base they were fans and now they're gone um you know they were they were the greatest singers and dancers in live stadiums Exactly, and it's and it's and it's, and it's not just from a football point of view. You know, we we look at it from a from a cricket point of view. We've had how many name changes with the the teams, how many leagues have been started. Yeah, you know, I, are I you live, a fan of the next, Lions? I are live you next fan door to the, to the Wanderers. I still don't know what the local team is called. Yeah, are you are you are you the Josie Stars or are you the are you the uh, are you Harting Lions? Are you the Central Harting Lions? Who are you? So that makes it difficult from a yeah. from a rights holder uh, point of view. We haven't made it easy for our fans to to become fans and we've got to understand that it, it it's it's not just going to change overnight you don't just change your name and do a bit of marketing and put up a couple of billboards and and hope that uh, fans are, are going to buy into that product it, it takes a while and that's why you know you look at the in the football space you're Dominant two teams are still pirates and, and chiefs from a fan base point of view and, and rightfully sundowns are coming up very quickly and, and, and building that fan base. But they also know it. You know, it's not just about winning trophies. Building those loyal fan base takes time. Um, and so, you know, in the football space as an example, if you have to advise a young kid who you must support, at least you know chiefs and pirates are not going to be bought and sold in the next season. So maybe you can tell him that that's a safe bet to, yeah. To, to support a team. So have we done ourselves any justice in this country from a, from a, uh, rights holder point of view to make it easy for the fans? No. And then from a broadcast point of view on the other side, broadcast, uh, digital content consumption, that's just become easier and easier and easier for fans to engage with tournaments, events, leagues, teams right around the world. Um, and not a lot of it just costing the young fan any money. You can become a fan of a, of a, of a football team through Twitter or through TikTok or, or, or any social platform. So that makes it difficult in the space um, from, a, from a local point of view. Yeah, that's such a key insight there. It's like you need to make fans well, make, make it easy. And no one I think has done it better in recent times than Formula One in that Sure, historically, they had this amazing global fan base. They had the heritage. They had brands like Mercedes and Ferrari all getting involved. So it's global. 
But it was only until the Netflix thing came about that people really actually find it easy to get involved because normally it would be Lewis Hamilton and some other guys who aren't as good. Now you're looking at Team Haas. Whoever the hell they were like prior to that show was nowhere. But it's such a great example. And I think, that again, success speaks to it that other people are now getting involved. There's going to be like a Tour de France one. The PGA Tour have got into this whole making it easy for the fans of the Netflix show that's coming out by the same people. And now we see with this whole live golf thing as well is that that is completely based on making it easy for the fan. Everyone tees up at the same time. It's three days. You've got, it's a, just having the three day thing and having everything, you can see every single kind of shot. They really are trying to go against that. What are the summing? I mean, I don't want to get into the live golf conversation because there's too many of those going around right now. For better or for worse, I actually kind of like it, but Historically, in the last, as you say, like teams have been ahead of the curve compared to local South African teams. Who are the federations or sports in general that you feel have really embraced this historically and just built in that from strength to strength? COVID aside, they've just done a really good job. From a local or, or global? So, so like, like global, you know, because ultimately we need, like I would love conversations like this to kind of make local markets or say developing markets understand that it's not a nice to have anymore. This is like your future. This is a sink or swim moment here that the digital fan has got certain expectations. And if you're not part of that mix, then you're basically not going to survive in five years time. So like if in your, your experience, like what have been some of the, the, the best blueprints of making it easy for fans? So one of the best is, as, as, as a global leader has been the, has been the NBA. The NBA have led the way, you know, from, from really being ahead of the curve with regards to anything from a content point of view. And they realized that when they, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago, uh, you know, you were almost prohibited to take a, take a photo at an event or take a video at an event or a live match because no, no, that content belongs to the broadcaster, belongs to the rights holder. And the NBA changed that where they started encouraging their fans at events and, and, and at matches to take videos, take content, share our content, and we'll start rewarding you for sharing that content. So that's really flipping it on the script, uh, flipping the, the, the script over where it wasn't this kind of you know, content protection, mm. but really using the fans to become their kind of content distributors. Um, and they realize that and, and, and they very quickly, uh, you know, have stayed ahead of the curve in that space. Um, their commissioner, you know, is one of the greatest quotes in the, in the, this kind of, uh, Netflix space that you, that you speak about. Um, you know, he, he says that you, you can't just wait for the, for the matches every Saturday. You've got to constantly feed this fan content. And so, you know, you, you you've got to keep the, this fan snacking, um, as, as he calls it. You've got to, you know, constantly such feed a good, them. Such a good way of putting it because consumption is a very like telling thing with all humans, really. Uh, yeah, exactly. So if you keep this fan snacking throughout the week, then they're going to consume your content on the, on the weekends when there's a, when there's a match on. But, you know, and, and at least from a sport point of view, it's, it's probably the only, only content left that will do, uh, you know, that, that will, will find a time for and, and will actually schedule that in our diaries and in our calendars. And because we know that the live event kicks off at five o'clock or at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, where majority of other content, we just consume it when we want to consume it. You, you don't just have to wait for that, that live event or the live broadcast to, to come in. I'm not sure when last you, you watch something with, with ads and, um, but it's, it's tedious. It's uh, to, massive tedious yeah and the thing is i have the ability to not have to do that so therefore i won't exactly so you know from a from a netflix 
content uh, point of view, yes, they've they, they've done that um, phenomenally. The Formula One have done it phenomenally, and and to bring it back in the local sense, because I get this question all the time in the sense of what should our local leagues do? How are we going to to capitalize on this kind of Netflix era? And it might not be to to you know create a Netflix series, but we've got to go and have a look at what are South Africans consuming? What are the majority of South Africans consuming? You know, are they still consuming soapies and movies and 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 they really buy into that across the Mzanzi Magics and across the SABC channels. These 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 soapies, the generations and the uh, the Siavanda Lans and the uh, you know all these uh, soapies are are really doing well still year in and year out, and people keep consuming them. So how do we take that mix and bring into a Kaiser Chiefs? You know, is it the Real Housewives of Kaiser Chiefs, or is it a is it a content show built around the PSL behind the scenes? It doesn't have to be a copy and paste of what they're doing in the states or what Netflix are doing. We've got to look at well, what is the local content. To do that because it's a proven formula, but you know. Surely you've got to have your your consumer in mind. Exactly. So if we look at our uh, South African fan and our South African, uh, you know, general population, what are they consuming? You know, uh, we think that South Africans are all sports mad love and, and we just want to watch sport all the time. But there's a lot of South Africans that are consuming content that's not sport. You know, the lifestyle side of things and the music side of things and the other entertainment, um, they're consuming a massive amount of that. And so the sports in this country have got to realize that, that it's not just, you know, we're going to put on a Chiefs Pirates derby and everyone's going to flock there and the viewership's just going to keep going up year and year out. We've got to make sure that we, that we tap into those. What are, what is the average South African consuming and how are we going to build this kind of sports narrative story behind the scenes lifestyle content into that? Um, because that's going to be the, that's where we're going to see that kind of Netflix Formula One growth. Um, if, if, if we can get that right, what is, what is that content and how do we, how do we blend the sport into it? Yeah. I mean, again, it's just, I, I look at this and I see opportunity because the people have done things in a certain way. No, certain ways just aren't going to be there anymore. The consumer or the fan wants to consume things, as you say, on an ongoing basis. So you can't just think, cool, live events. Obviously, that's enough for us. I think the UFC done such a great job in that. Obviously, they were the only ones that were like, screw the pandemic. We're coming back as quickly as we can. And I know that's when it's a UFC every, every month. So UFC 276 just took place over the weekend. From Monday through to Sunday morning, I have content to consume, as you mentioned. And like everything you say there talks to my UFC experience. It is now my favorite sport. Um, but yeah, because of that, because of what they give me, it's like this bread trail towards the event. Sometimes the event's almost an anticlimax because you're hyped, you're so hyped up about it. But now, you know, I, I mentioned the whole URC. So now there's a great example. So I mean, I don't think we're going to have the, the answers for your, your local cricket team in Joburg is going to now become global. It's a very different conversation. But now the URC, look at the Stormers, for instance. They've just made a decent amount of money after winning the URC. They've now got to expand their team. They're in this new stadium. They're in a whole new world because now they've got multiple competitions. So it's becoming like a football kind of thing. You do well, you need a bigger squad because you're going to have more match days. So there they have an opportunity to maybe move into other markets. Is this something that you would imagine the URC teams are looking at going, if we have more of a European fan base, because obviously people immigrate from South Africa, there's an example right there. How different do you reckon their marketing mix is going to be going forward now? And like, what would be some of the things that you could recommend for teams like this, what they should be mindful of if they were looking to get into new markets? 
Yeah, it's interesting. The, uh, the, the, the URC teams and, and, and when this URC competition started, I think everyone was very skeptical about it and everyone thought, you know, why are we moving away from Australia, New Zealand? Uh, you know, is this going to work? And in the first few weeks when our teams started taking hidings, we yeah. even thought it was going to be even worse. And this is a terrible competition to be involved in. And then in the end, we've, we've got two South African teams playing in the final. The fan base thing is, is, is definitely something that, that they're going to be tapping into. I think, you know, this, the, the local stats from a viewership point of view are not where Super Rugby used to be as yet. Um, and I think they're growing and the final viewership in South Africa was, was great. From a European, UK, point of view the the viewership numbers that that, that we've seen have, are, are just flying so they've you know broken all the records from a from a their, their previous competition of their pro 14 competition um you know so they've broken all of those records in that sense and 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 that's great to see that the european uk market is really jumping on board with that Maybe it's because of the, the you know, the, 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 the Rugby World Cup taking place in Europe next year and there's a lot more hype and you see these sort of trends taking place when there's Olympic well, Games or Rugby World Cup or FIFA World Cup taking place. Sure, but I mean, it's, it's international times of rugby basically. No, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and I had an interesting conversation last week with CEO of the Sharks, um, uh, and, and he was saying, you know, um, they've, they're going to base themselves in Switzerland and then they're going to have a strong kind of, uh, target to target London and really to, to say, okay, could this potentially be a place where we might in the future open up an office or we might potentially have a, you know, a, a second home base in, in, in London. So yeah, they definitely think Thinking about that, um, and 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 definitely looking at that uh, target market as a as a specific target market, because if you look at that from a from a sponsorship point of view, um, you know, the the bigger your fan base can become, the more broader your fan base can become, the uh, the the bigger your sponsorship portfolio can become. So from a from an income point of view, that's that's essentially at the end of the day what those teams want to want to uh, generate. They they want more revenue in, in into their teams so that they can boost those teams and boost those squads, as you so rightfully say. But they need the they need the sponsorship money. Um, and if you've got now massive exposure across Europe, massive exposure across the UK, you can start you know looking at UK brands. The kazoos and the cinches at the moment look like they're sponsoring everything across yeah. the UK and Europe. So you know it maybe next season or the season thereafter some of the south african teams really start uh, getting uh, some some of those uk european brands to become some of their main sponsors that's interesting i think um i also believe there'll be a time where there won't just be south african based teams having most south african based players like you'll get a lot of maybe i know the sharks have always had a few french people somewhere along the line but it is it's like you know european tournaments so why wouldn't you then trade just like football it's going to become more and more like football which is great and it's so exciting so you mentioned sponsors there obviously the digital fan is something that brands care about because there's something about sport that kind of creates trust and i think when when brands want to get involved in sport they get involved with the emotion they get involved with like that fanaticism that makes people loyal towards certain things i, I reckon probably more so than most industries and that is why it is so lucrative so all the things that you were touching on there about what teams need to do i mean how have brands really changed that? I mean, are they forcefully like getting onto the whole digital platform a lot more locally? And again, is it about following international trends or have you seen digital fans being engaged by brands in a, in a different way locally? 
So the brands have really have have really used the the whole influencer side of things uh, to to their benefit, um, and 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 have ran a lot of campaigns using different influencers. Um, and nowadays, you know, when you talk about an influencer, it's not necessarily just somebody with a few million followers that gives you a tweet or two. It can be everything from a micro influencer that's got five thousand followers, and and he knows all of those five thousand followers to exactly. uh, you know somebody in a specific community. Or somebody in a specific team. So when you talk about influencer, it's not just you know pay me a bunch of money and I'll give you a few posts on Instagram. It's really glorified billboard. Yeah, exactly. How do how do you as a brand tap into the teams and events and leagues that I'm sponsoring and use some of those players to talk to their real community because some of the players are building really good. Uh, loyal fan bases across the this digital platform and it doesn't have to be it's it's not about having two or 20 million followers anymore it's now really just understanding that fan base do your fan base engage with the content that you are posting as an influence and if they're engaging with that content if you have 500 followers that's great for a brand to be able to tap into those 500 followers if you know what content resonates with with with, with that fan base so from a from a brand's point of view we've really seen the brands uh, on a local and global scale you trying to use that some better than 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 others um but really trying to go that route when it comes to the digital space of how do we get those people to 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 connect with our influences in an organic way um and 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 really posting content that that people are going to resonate with and it's not just you know lying on the beach with a shampoo brand and saying buy the shampoo and tomorrow you've got another shampoo brand it's really you know, organic content that these athletes are, 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 are posting out there. And a lot of the athletes are using their platforms to speak about, you know, massive humanitarian issues, uh, the, the global warming state and racism, et cetera, et cetera. And, and these are massive issues. And these, these athletes are no longer waiting for their PR manager or their brand manager to say what they can and can't speak about. They are being open and honest on their platforms and they're using those platforms to be open and honest. And if you as a, as a brand can somehow weave your story into that organic content um, you know the engagement goes up and your brand love goes up and 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 and, and that's great from a brand point of view so the brands have really tried their best to use that and I think that that'll continue to be the the strategy for the next few years yeah it's interesting I mean you kind of overlapping to my next question around you know when you look at digital fans you're getting teams organizations federations that want to talk to them you're getting brands that want to be part of this mix and then athletes themselves. The whole thing about them being brands isn't even like a buzz term anymore. It's not even like a future kind of thing. They've got to be that, that way. Now, we all know that talent gets you sort of in the door when it comes to sport. Hard work, dedication, and application makes you a star. But a commercial success, that extra sort of prong there, that is about understanding the digital fan and their needs. So, I mean, again, is this like something you're seeing more locally, like local sports stars now that they are coming back to the fore? Are they coming back to the fore looking like they've done some work or are we still very much behind the curve internationally? Yeah, we, uh, you know, in, from a global point of view, um, we, we definitely still behind, um, when, when we had to look at our, from even just influencer versus influencer or athlete versus athletes, just, you know, from a media training point of view or from a, you know, just building your own brand and really understanding what it means to, to have your, have your brand. Um, you know, uh, see, I always find this a shame because where I can understand a certain player is not going to have a LeBron James audience by numbers. What they do with their audience is something that isn't, there's no restriction to. 
you should be able to do it because there's no limitation to that. Just because your your market size is ten thousand rather than ten million doesn't mean you've got to interact differently. Yeah, I guess it's a it's a level of understanding, it's a level of training, it's a level of you know really. Uh, you know, understanding that you need to build a brand. Um, we've had, you know, a lot of the agents, a lot of the rights holders have been very conservative uh, from a South African point of view with regards to embracing the, the, the influences, embracing their athletes. Um, you know, as soon as an athlete or, or a, a player becomes almost bigger than the team or bigger than the, than the rights holder, then the rights holder almost does a 360 and, and doesn't embrace that athlete and doesn't use that athlete and, you know, build the schedule around that athlete because we know what commercial value that athlete's going to, going to bring to, to, to the team and to the events and to the eventual commercial partners. So maybe from a rights holder point of view, we haven't really, we don't, we, we're almost scared that our athletes are going to become too big and, and that they're going to become bigger than our teams. Um, and if you look at from a global point of view, that's exactly what it is. You know, the, the, the global athletes are, are, are much bigger than the teams. When global athletes move, uh, you know, Ronaldo moves from a, a Juventus to, to a, back to the UK and there's a Facebook group that has a few million fans. Juventus forever changes, you know, its name to Man United forever. And it's, and it's just that whole digital space can change so quickly following these individual athletes around. In the South African sense, the, our IPL players are bigger stars in India than what they potentially are in South Africa. And have yeah. we, have we, you know, have we embraced them in the sense that, you know, AB de Villiers, David Miller, uh, what does your schedule look like? How do we tap into your fan base? Because we know that you guys are, are massive fans and you've got massive fan bases around the world and, and in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. And we know that that's a, a key market for us. So how do we use that? Um, so from a right holder point of view, we've probably tried to hold back our players a bit. If we look at some of the interviews that our players are still doing, which is an absolute shame because again, it comes back to almost like an ego thing. It's like, Understand the state of the digital fan, their power, their reach, their size. That should be really part of the, the first part of the conversation here. No, exactly. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a level of understanding. Um, and then, uh, uh, and working together and, and embracing that and, and making sure that we, at the end of the day, grow that fan base, grow the game, grow the commercial opportunities for everyone involved. It's not just, you know, if you, if you think of a football team or a rugby team, you know, all of, you know, from the start, if you, if you want to have a digital fan base, you've got 15 players. There that could potentially be your first fifteen digital, you know, influences just for your team or just for your sponsors. So instead of you know looking outwards and saying we must you know build our fan base, we must build our fan base, be like the NBA and 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 flip the script and embrace the players, bring in the players, train the players, show the players how they can, uh, you know, what they can do and what they can't do, and how how you want them to to grow the team in an organic way. Every player does his own thing, and and you've just got to you know be that catalyst that just allows them the opportunity to uh, to to express themselves and then at the end of the day they'll grow your team it's such a good point and it's something that we try hammer home in business all the time but there's always a hesitancy and i think as well there's like quite a lot of naivety around as you said the control when teams are so worried about these people getting bigger but when you look at what the digital fan wants, they want the player. They don't want to say like, okay, well, I'm first and foremost, the team is everything. Sure, if you live in a small part of England and traditionally your season ticket's like the most important thing in your world, I get that. But it is. It's all migrated because the fan has more options. I think that's where we're coming to with this. So I mean, there must be some very frustrating parts in your line of work because you know how things can get better. 
and it's not always about having millions and millions of dollars in budget. And you know how if teams can work cohesively towards a plan, their fan bases would swell, the commercial rights would obviously improve. But going forward now in a digital sense, like what are the things that you feel are quite exciting from a fan's perspective? And then what do you think the next five years could be implemented that will be quite revolutionary? Bearing in mind, we've obviously had some big leaps in the last 10 years with digital um, things coming in, social media integration, streaming options. These are all things that have really kind of come onto our radar. What do you feel like in the next five years that um, you can obviously speak locally and internationally here? What are the things that you're most excited about that you've seen trends happening and how are we going to start seeing more of? Well, we've got to understand this, this digital fan. We've got to understand them first and foremost. And I think that's, that's, that's the crux of it. We've got to understand that they're these multi-screen beings that are watching, you know, a broadcast, but also on their phone and also doing emails on the side on their, on their laptop. And we've got to understand that they, that they're not going to give you kind of this, uh, uh, unrestricted or, or undivided attention. And if we understand that and we, and we know, okay, they're going to be consuming our content potentially across multiple platforms. Uh, at the same time, then we've got to make sure that we, that we, our strategies from a rights holder point of view has got to be built around that. So that's, that's going to be interesting to see in the, in the global sense. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see how, you know, the, the fan tokens and the NFTs take off and, 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 and how that, you know, plays off into South Africa and which South African team is going to be the first to really take a bold step in that direction. Um, because Sorry, it's, I, I it's going to take because place. You mentioned this earlier and obviously there's a bit of a, it's not a good time of crypto right now. Um, but what do you think that the thing that's holding back the most? Is it like the apprehension around cryptocurrency or just the inability to embrace new technology? Because when you see NFTs, people just think, I don't want a picture of a monkey or I don't want a picture of like a cartoon or whatever. But it, NFTs, the first iteration basically is this whole art thing. But it's, it's a payment gateway. It's a way of having like a currency and having a value of something. So, I mean, I always just thought that NFTs should be like season tickets. And on there, you can build your NFTs for every, every team. So would you say locally there's just an apprehension around it because of the format and because it's new? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, we, we really just don't understand it. Um, and I, and I think people don't, uh, before they go and read up about it, before they go and, you know, really, understand it they they just almost get frightened and say no no no, this is not for us this is uh, definitely not for our fan base we, we're not going to we're not going to uh have these it, sort like, of fans it's, in it's so malleable it's it's so it is what you make of it like it really is it's not like you now have to buy these things and you're on a different stock exchange or some other thing no exactly you really can make these things exactly how you want them 100% and I think the, the the teams that have have embraced it on a global scale on are, are seeing it primarily as building that digital community and if we build that digital community and we uh, uh you know allow this is another platform another area where we can have a fan be part of that digital community. You can essentially be a so-called shareholder um, because yeah. you've got this fan token. And and yes, you might never be able to vote. You might never be able to say who becomes the coach. But you, as a fan, feel I have a little stake here in this in this in this football club or in this rugby club or in this rugby league. Comes back and, to what you say about connection points. Exactly. So yeah. if we if we can keep building this digital community, uh, be it in different ways, NFTs and 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 this whole area is just another vehicle that that. That, that we can build that digital connection with these fans. And, and so from a local point of view, we've got to embrace it. Um, and, and we've got to really have a look at, you know, how, how are we going to make sure that, it, that the fans don't start
start doing it by themselves. Um, and, and we as rights holders tap into that opportunity before the fans start, you know, doing it by themselves. Yeah. I think your MBA example there was just so good. Sometimes you've got to relinquish a bit of your control in order to create something far bigger. And again, it's like in theory between the two of us sitting here in studio right now, it feels like a very simple thing to do. But there are just so many other mechanisms in place. There's so many different hierarchy structures that won't like that line of thinking. But I, I just can't see anything else in the sink or swim kind of thing. When you realize that because of the way the digital fan is now looking at things, you are competing with everything. You're competing with every team in the world. You're not just competing with the team in your league. You're not just competing with your own country. Like it's, it's staggering how this is all kind of ballooned. And as you say, like if you were not using COVID to get up with this, you're already two years behind. So now technically let's add the mass and make you about four years behind in these different things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think from a, from a local, local point of view, there's always this argument around, you know, if everything is moving into the digital space, South Africans are poor. We don't have enough data. We don't, you know, uh, we, we won't be able to stream matches. We can't just watch things on TikTok and Instagram and those sort of things. So that's definitely a concern for a lot of the rights holders. As soon as you start pushing them in the, in the space of saying, you've got to, embrace this digital fan the first thing that usually comes back is data costs are too expensive people are not going to want to consume it on on on, you know on their smartphones but those sort of things are changing and our strategies have got to keep up with the cost of data are going to come down Uh, more and more south africans are are accessing the internet our last stats from an internet point of view is is around 66 percent of south africans now have access to the internet that's a massive portion of south africans that somewhere along the line be it at work, be it at school, be it at university, have got some form of access to to the internet. And that was a prioritizing it because of what's available through that. And it's a scary thing to think, are we still talking about access to the internet? If you have to, you know, ask people, do you have access to the internet in, in the UK and Europe? It's it's almost a, a strange question. A, a strange it's like running question. water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely something that, that is accelerating. And then our, our, our biggest thing that we've got to embrace in South Africa are smartphones and, 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 and these mobile, uh, uh, networks are definitely people are walking around before they've got a TV, before they've got a laptop, before they yeah. sometimes have a car or house. They've got some form of smartphone or feature phone that they've got in their pockets or, you know, they're sitting in public transport for a few hours a day. How are we embracing those fans? You know, earlier I mentioned around gaming and esports in south africa the esports space is very very small and very difficult to get into but the gaming side of things people like gamification everything is gamified nowadays sure. from your fnb e-box to your discovery vitality to everything that you do and every rewards card that you've got and so a lot of south africans might not be watching you know streaming matches on in their public transport but they're sitting and playing candy crush or they're sitting and uh, reading something on their phone while they're sitting in public transport and so that's where we've got to look at. We've got to look at, you know, we might not be the Netflix creator Formula One series, but we've got to look at what are the, where are South Africans consuming their content? What are they consuming their content on? If they've only got one gig of data, what are they going to spend that gig of data on? Are we as rights holders on the top of their mind that that's what they want to spend their one gig of data on? Uh, this month they want to consume your content um, on, on, on a different platform. And are you allowing them, uh, do you give them the opportunity to consume your content using their minimal data that they might have. Sean, there's a lot of things to wrap up here as far as just insights to take out because, you know, you are armed with all these kind of things, but I like the way you simplify it so easily. Make it easy for fans to be fans. 
first and foremost. You've got to relinquish something. You've got to become part of a bigger network to create a bigger network. But um, the streaming thing is the last thing I want to talk about because obviously that's a big topic with players coming into the market that never used to be there. I know there was big talk around Facebook getting into the streaming space. Um, Disney, you know, they all know, okay, well, Disney, ESPN, they've got that link anywhere. They all know that fans want to see things all over the place. I think F1, you know, someone made a great example to me the other day that they don't have DSTV premium anymore. So that's what, like, just call it a thousand rand a month to get what, oh, it's obviously the greatest sporting package in the entire world. I think it's worth every cent. But this friend of mine said, like, all I really care about is F1, really. And I got Netflix. So, I go straight to F1. That's how I stream everything. I get all the qualifications. I get all the commentary. I get all the insights and I get the race. How are you seeing that realistically shaking up more in the future? And is it something that Supersport is, could change their business forever as a result? Or will you see kind of smaller players coming to the fore locally as well? Yeah, I guess it's the the million dollar question that everyone in that multi choice super sport building. Yeah, I I even battled trying to ask the right question around it because you kind of know what's inevitably happening. You know how the digital fan is engaging things and what they desire, so you kind of know those things in place. But how's the rest of the sort of pie sort of work for the next sort of five ten years? So I mean, the streaming side of things is 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 something that in five years time we're not you know we're not going to talk about it. We don't talk about linear TV anymore. We don't yeah. say you know is linear TV or free to air TV something that we need to be uh, thinking about. The the streaming platform is basically just allowing fans to take their live content wherever they want to take it, and they don't have to carry their you know fifty inch TV around when they when right. they when they're walking around. From a super sport point of view, um, you know, uh, and again, I think they've identified a a, a really Really great community and, and, and be it in the super sports schools side. Um, that super sports schools platform is basically targeting schools, uh, parents, teachers, kids. Yeah, it's um, great. I mean, we spoke about that last week with Kooks. I think, I think it's brilliant. I think it's a their, great their, example. Their app me. is almost close to 150,000 downloads now. So that app is growing massively every week around uh, that digital community, that community of people that need that specific content. And you said, you know, correctly with, with, with the Formula One side, with these direct to consumer, people are consuming their content and, uh, in, in, you know, they're going directly to that platform and paying the fee that they want to pay for that content. And, you know, the NBA being leaders in that space, again, they can give you the last chucker for a certain amount. So, you know, you don't have to buy the whole match. You don't have to buy the whole season. Just buy the last 20 minutes. And I mean, you know, Springbok test match, you can probably buy the last 10 minutes and know what's going to happen because a lot changes in that last 10 minutes. So yeah. the models are definitely going to change. The pricing models are going to change um, in, in the next five years. Um, the streaming side of things is, is yet to stay, but how that's going to fit into that, that, that content kind of packaging and, and model and pricing model. That's the million dollar question that I'm sure everyone at, uh, multi-choice and super sport are. Are trying to figure out correctly, you know, from a linear TV point of view, there's definitely not a better package in the world. If you think of uh, what's happening in uh, from a UK, from a Europe, from a uh, even the states with with some of the golf majors, you've got to watch the Thursday and Friday on two different platforms and the behind the scenes on another platform. Where from a super sport point of view, that linear. Uh, content offering that they've got there is, is, is world class. I think from a super sport point of view, and I don't want to talk on their behalf, but on a super sport point of view, they've always been uh, aggregators of content and, and, and they've been a platform where you can watch 
everything on uh, with one subscription and potentially that 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 might be the the way that they would want to go you know on one platform one subscription you do have access to a formula 1 tv you do have access to an nba uh, league pass you do have access to a la liga tv you do have access to disney plus and netflix so potentially those different streaming providers could become you know different channels like they have been on the dstv offering Smart, in the last yeah. couple of years so much to consider. The digital fan is only growing in importance, I think, in the greater sporting landscape. And it's been great, like, you know, being part of this, of the days of, of not having this, of only like watching rugby at a certain time. I mean, I remember back in the day, things weren't commercially minded. So if South Africa was playing in New Zealand, you'd watch a game at 4.30. You know, being young and understanding that and being where we are right now and all the things we've spoken about today, it's a very exciting kind of transition. Where can people find more of you online? And obviously you do share quite a lot on Twitter. Yeah, I'll try and share as, as, as much as we can um, from a social media point of view Um try and involved in as many articles and, and white papers as what we possibly can. We've just, just put together a, a really exciting betting, uh, betting report, which is available um, for the South African market, really trying to look at the betting fan and trying to understand that betting market in South Africa. Um, so, so from a South African point of view, um, you know, we, we try and share as much of the content as possible um, online, social media, through our Nielsen.com website. And actual social media handles. You, you gotta plug yourself better, Jean. <laughs> yeah, on Twitter and on LinkedIn, um, just Jean underscore Villas, um, is, is probably the, the two best platforms that, that you'll find me on. Um, not, not there on the, on the TikTok platform yet or on, okay. the, on, on that side. I, th- I think that's, you know, in, in closing, I guess that's probably the scary reality that we've got to think of this fan. Um, you know, fan, the, these kids are now being born and they've got an Instagram page already. Their parents have created it. They've got more followers than you and I on, on Instagram and they haven't even opened their own account yet. So that fan is just going to keep growing because they are born into social media. They're born into this digital space. It's not something that they've got to learn or something that they've got to get used to or some subscription that they've got to, got to get. That's, uh, you know, they are there now and, 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 and they're, they've going to consume it and, and, and embrace that space, uh, constantly. Yeah, it's, it's exciting and it's just, it's so clear to me. The fact that people are still kind of on the fence towards how these things and how they embrace it is very kind of worrying. But you know, like I say, it's a very exciting space. I'm very excited for where you and your company are going with this because the data, the insights, the analytics around this, there is, there is money to be made. I think if you're very smart within this business and, um, I hope people utilize you a lot more as a result of this. Let's hope so. And yeah, thanks for your, thanks for your time. I think this, uh, these sort of discussions need to take place more often and, uh, the, the, the rights holder space in this country have got to embrace this and, and, and then the brands will follow. Yeah. And also I think if we get smarter in this kind of space, we create better offerings for the fan as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm all about creating all these win-wins and I think there's some great ones ahead. Next week, we are getting into the state of drugs in sport, which is something I'm massively excited about. So we'll catch you then. <laughs>